When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as the best insight and analysis in the game we all love. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles. You hear me say before every pod that we bring the news before it becomes news. Well, yeah, it was us who broke the biggest story of this year before anyone else on Saturday evening when we reported that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had been summarily dismissed as Manchester United manager during an emergency board meeting following the defeat to Watford. So, for any of you who um, doubt us when we say that we are first, just go on to our social media platforms and you will see the posts way before anyone else and then look at everyone else chasing our tail. Uh, Duncan, as ever, we don't rest our laurels here at the transfer window uh, because we are going to take everyone forward in this, the biggest story uh, of the year. Uh, we're going to talk about the candidates that Manchester United are considering, where they are with each of them, and also discuss suitability as well as process and will they finally get it right after Nine years since Sir Alex Ferguson retired and last won the title for the Old Trafford Club. Duncan, um, let's just rewind a little bit beyond to begin with, because uh, we reported at the time that Solskjaer, uh, during that international break, had been advised by the club to take a week's holiday. They had given him the use of a private jet. He decided to go back to the Buzumu's family in Norway and do that. Uh, we can now obviously see the pattern that has emerged since then, i.e. that was kind of a last warning. It also coincides with United getting serious in terms of talking to Zinedine Zidane, who we also know has turned down the invitation as yet to join Manchester United as head coach, leaving just two names in the frame in terms of leading uh, the chase. But there are some other interesting candidates as well. Of course, when a club at Manchester United changes head coach, um, agents will push clients or at least candidates that they uh, have mandates for to get in there. Uh, and of course, um, one who we have talked about is Brendan Rogers. We'll come to Brendan Rogers in just a few minutes. But let's talk Maurizio Pochettino, a man who ironically is going to be in Manchester this evening. Yeah, look, just add a couple of things to that. One, I think it's important to say that you, Ian, reported on the, the Transfer Window podcast at the end of September that the Glazers 
were dissatisfied with the performances under Uli Gunnar Solskjaer. I decided that the, the, the team was performing significantly less than the sum of its parts after the huge investment they made in the summer, taking the squad to one of only two in the history of football that's had over a billion euros of transfer fees committed to building it. Um, and that basically the ground was set for the possibility of Solskjaer being dismissed if he couldn't turn results around throughout that period, September, October, November, the brief from Manchester United was they were 100% behind the manager. They weren't going to change. Even after the Liverpool game, that was the brief. It was only after Manchester City um, when they sent him away from that holiday on the, on the private jet that they stopped um, briefing uh, that they had full support behind them. So the, so the podcast has been well ahead of this and, and providing information that other media haven't um, in terms of where Solskjaer's status was and what the ultimate owners of Manchester United felt about him. As you say, um, post-Manchester City, they accelerated their attempts to get Zinedine Zidane in. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, Rafael Varane, important in that as they both have relationships with Zidane, having played many years and won many titles with him at Real Madrid. Um, it wasn't a flat no. Um, Zidane discussed it. Um, he told close friends that he was interested in the job, but his wife, Veronique, um, was against the move to Manchester. And over the weekend, after um, Solskjaer had been dismissed in that uh, emergency board meeting, United, um, and a, a quote from a source here, were throwing money at Zidane to try and convince him to come. But he then said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I can tell you that when he, he said that he wasn't going to come, one of the reasons he gave for not accepting Manchester United's offer was that he wanted to become France national team manager. And I think that's important to bear in mind um, given what's happening with Maurizio Pochettino. United have gone from Zidane to Pochettino as a candidate that they feel they can get in now. And United made a very interesting statement after Solskjaer sacking, saying that Michael Carrick would take charge of the team for forthcoming games while the club looks to appoint an interim manager to the end of the season. Now, the guidance I have, and this is from multiple sources, is actually if United can get a coach who they feel can be the long-term manager or um, as they labelled Solskjaer when they gave him the job in 2019, the full-time manager. Um, I kind of wonder whether that's a reference to the fact that he only ever did anything of value after full-time whistle had been blown. He, he wasn't capable of uh, changing games during them. But if they can get a new full-time manager now, they will do it, I'm told. And therefore are exploring open discussions to get Maurizio Pochettino, who, again, it's important to notice the timing of these things. As soon as Solskjaer was sacked, you saw multiple stories coming from English press and European press and South American press that Pochettino was interested in returning to English football, was interested in the Manchester United job, and could even go back to um, English football now if a way of getting him out of Paris Saint-Germain could be arranged. So you can see from that, Pochettino wants to come back. It's no surprise he wanted to return in the summer um, when Tottenham Hotspur 
asked whether he um, would be interested in replacing, effectively replacing Jose Mourinho as the as the uh, the permanent manager there. That was blocked by Paris Saint Germain. Um, uh, Paris Saint Germain had an option on. Pochettino's contract, which only ran for an initial 18 months, uh, was going into the, the first full season. And when Tottenham tried to get Pochettino back, Qatar's response was exercise the option in his contract, make it impossible for Levy because he will cost too much money to get out and force him to stay. We, When we reported at the time, we said that was not should not be taken as a symbol of Qatar's confidence in Pochettino. There were already problems at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, as we reported on the podcast, he is popular with the players in, in that extremely fractious and difficult dressing room. They like him as an individual, but they have been unimpressed by him as a tactical um, coach, uh, contributing, of course, to them not winning Ligue 1 last season, um, where he handled the majority of the games after uh, Qatar decided to sack Thomas Tuchel. Um, But as Qatar have often done, uh, their position was, we control these things. We decide when a player leaves or when a coach leaves. Um, We don't be seen to lose individuals against our will, so we're going to exercise that contract clause. Um, So we are in control of this situation. Now, I expected a similar thing to happen this time. Um, and looking at the looking at Pochettino's brief that he was ready to come, my initial reaction was he's going to run up against the Qatar brick wall again. Um, they will not let him to leave because they won't want him to uh, voluntarily exit. But having asked some questions um, at the highest levels in Qatar about that, um, the response I got was. Uh, yes, we are aware that Manchester United are crazy about hiring him. And secondly, he's not that good a coach. Now, I was not told that they would allow him to leave, but clearly there is a chink there that Manchester United might be able to exploit and that Qatar have come to the conclusion that Pochettino is not the individual they thought they were hiring when they brought him there. And if they can extract money from Manchester United and they can find a suitable replacement. Um, it might be an astute move for them to do that, make a profit on on uh, getting rid of Pochettino and replace with a coach they feel is better. Um, question, who do they bring in? Well, there's been a lot of talk about Zinedine Zidane and for sure Qatar are interested in hiring Zidane. And of course, Zidane is out of work. Um, so... No compensation required if you wanted to recruit him. The question is, if PSG make that offer, does he stick to the position he held with Manchester United, which is, I'm waiting for the France national team job, or does he take the opportunity of multiple titles guaranteed at Paris Saint-Germain? People close to him will say he won't go to Paris Saint-Germain because he's from Marseille uh, and doesn't want to be seen to be working for Marseille's great rivals. Um, I guess we'll find out over the next few days what his ultimate decision is if Qatar decide to take the rational route of let's let Pochettino go to Manchester United and let's get a better coach in and and try and uh, make Zidane that man.
Interestingly, Duncan, um, two factors at work here uh, in terms of the uh, merry-go-round, let's call it. First of all, Pochettino has consistently made thinly veiled criticisms of his front three in terms of their work rate, their work ethic, the fact that uh, they do not do as they're asked either in training or during games because they are the front three. Also, and so, also talked about the tactical difficulty of finding a way of combining them in a team with the rest of the team. Yes, yes. Now, we know, and of course we did coin this phrase some time ago, that PSG were the new FC Hollywood. Pochettino is not very good uh, with uniting fractured dressing rooms. What's he going to at Manchester United? Should he be chosen and accept that job? An extremely fractured dressing room. We saw it at Spurs in its most naked form, that when things started to go wrong, Pochettino didn't know what to do to make it right, despite the fact he had the loyalty and the commitment of very many senior players. But it still ended up with him basically being out of a job. So that's a, if you're Manchester United, you're thinking, OK, he's not won a major title. He's not got a good track record with healing rifts amongst his squad and creating that dressing room atmosphere from a position of negativity. So, alternatives. We've effectively ruled out Zidane more or less. Um, it's our information here at the Transfer Window podcast that Brendan Rodgers has been contacted uh, about the job in Manchester United, that he is respected in terms of his tactical nous, the fact that he is the only coach in the Premier League outside of Jose Mourinho who have run uh, close to winning a title in the last seven years when he was at Liverpool. Um, so their credentials are there. Uh, he is not just tactically astute. Un but unless, he's unless, of course, they wanted to take uh, Claudio Ranieri from Watford. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but back to Brendan, um, he can be extracted from Leicester City for the sum of one year's salary in his contract. That's around eight million pounds, including a bon bonuses. Uh, so therefore, he could be the permanent manager, Duncan, that you talk about um, with regards to this whole charade of the interim interim situation. Um, he knows the league. He knows the players, even had some of the players at Leicester, like Harry Maguire. So um, there's there are definite positives to Rogers' candidacy from that point of view. Um, he's also someone, I think, who would be seen as a safe pair of hands in terms of um, his track record. Although, of course, um, his recent results at Leicester have tailed off quite dramatically. But... That may be the case that, you know, just uh, the pits and the, the troughs and peaks of, of any club uh, in Leicester's particular mould, where they have a talented squad, but not necessarily uh, enough of a winning mentality to, to challenge again for the Premier League title. So um, we have two very strong candidates. Uh, 
we understand that both have been spoken to directly or indirectly regarding the job, but they're not the only ones, Duncan, are they? We, there are other names out there who are being pushed towards United. Yeah, I think you, you talk about form at Leicester and it's uh, Rogers finds himself 12th in the Premier League, 15 points from 12 games, just five wins in the last 15 games and four games without a win. Um, most impressive win, of course, was the one over Solskjaer's Manchester United, um, which kind of initiated um, the end of, of Solskjaer's reign, although you could say the problems run back far, far longer, um, given that uh, he ended up with seven defeats in his last 13 games, two clean sheets in the last 25, just 10 wins in 26. Um, one name, and I, and I think at present you can say that he's probably the most popular name amongst Manchester United supporters, is Eric Ten Hag. Um, who his reputation is at, I think, an all-time high at Ajax. Um, they are playing exceptionally good football at present. They've got back basically to the level that should have taken them to uh, the Champions League final in, uh, in 2019 um, when they lost out in the very last kick of the, of the game to, to a Tottenham Hotspur side that they'd outplayed over two legs. Um, he's been there since 2017, um, coming in mid-season, won two Eredivisie titles, two KMVB Cups, um, reached uh, a Europa League final, um, which lost to, to Manchester United in that first season there. Um, the combination of the quality of football he's producing, uh, Ajax with their ability to promote from the academy and uh, promote signings that they've astutely brought in from elsewhere. All of those things, I think, are are very appealing. United have inquired about him. The answer they've got is he will not leave mid-season. Um, he's loyal to Ajax. He doesn't want to step away from the club in the situation. He's got them in their top of the Dutch division at the moment, um, although their, their lead is a is a marginal one. Um, so Ajax are confident they won't lose him mid-season. Um, they're less confident about what might happen if United offer him the job in the summer. But as we've said previously, um, Ten Hag's an interesting character because he comes from a very wealthy family. Um, money isn't a huge motivation for him. He's also, I'm repeatedly told by people who know him well, that he his preference would be to coach in Germany. Um, and his ideal job would be the Bayern Munich job, which he's come close to getting on two previous occasions. He was Bayern Munich B team coach for, for two years. He's very high, highly regarded by the club and, um, and he, he was born on the border with Germany. So people talk about him being kind of half German, half Dutch and as a, as a football coach. So it's not clear that United would be able to persuade him to take the job even in the summer. Other candidates and um, one that's been proposed to them as an immediate solution is Julian Lopetegui, um, who they could hire um, from Sevilla by paying his uh, 5 million euro release clause, he would be available immediately. I'm told he would take that job if offered. And I'm also told that United have not turned down the opportunity. They've uh, they've talked about it 
with his representatives. They've expressed an interest. They made it clear that he's not first choice, but they've not said no to it. So that, if United fail with Pochettino, um, would be an option if they feel they need to get a coach in, um, a really well-qualified coach in now. Their situation is difficult. Uh, you look at where they are in the Premier League, basically three of the four pre Premier League Champions League qualifying slots have gone. So they're now fighting for fourth place and they can't really afford this run of form to extend for much longer, which is being expressed to them. And people are saying, um, you're talking about having Carrick and Kieran McKenna in charge for forthcoming games and you're talking about appointing an interim until you get your preferred choice of manager in the summer. Will you get away with that and still qualify for the Champions League, which of course is of paramount importance to the Glazers? Um, interestingly, I've got multiple sources telling me that the, the, their hope is if they can't get a Pochettino now, their hope is that Carrick and McKenna will do well enough that they can run them to the end of the season um, without appointing the interim manager that they talked about in their statement, basically replicate what they did with, uh, with Solskjaer um, when he replaced Jose Mourinho. Um, I think that's, it's going to be difficult for that to happen. We'll see tonight how they get on in their first match against Villarreal. But I know there are people in the dressing room who have looked at what's happened, that the, the figurehead, um, Solskjaer, has been sacked. But they know he was the figurehead because Solskjaer was not taking the training. McKenna and, and Carrick were taking the training and were responsible for tactical decisions. Those were shared with Solskjaer. But essentially the coaching team that Solskjaer had built and delegated much of the work to remains in place. So the feeling amongst senior players is, although Solskjaer has been sacked, nothing has changed in terms of how the, the, the team is going to be run. Um, so I think it's a high hurdle for, for Carrick and McKenna to succeed, um, a higher hurdle than it would be in normal circumstances because they are, they're very much associated with Solskjaer's failure by a number of the players. But um, that's in the, uh, the Richard Arnold, Ed Woodward um, dream world. They, those two would be able to buy them time and they wouldn't need to take an interim in. In terms of interim options, they've been offered and looked at Paolo Fonseca. Um, I'm told that they've rejected that opportunity. They won't, they won't take him as a, an interim. Lauren Blanc has been mentioned. And another individual I think is at least an option for them, given that there aren't many um, experienced uh, managers who've, who've worked at Champions League level on the market who um, aren't in a job at present. One of them would be Gennaro Gattuso, who um, was offered the Tottenham job in the summer, almost took it in that uh, ridiculous period where Levy and Fabio Paratici went through multiple um, individuals who they gave the job to and then withdrew, Paolo Fonseca being another one. Um, and I'm told Gattuso, if he was asked to come in on an interim basis, would be prepared to do that. So um, the, I think the main takeaway from this is you've got Manchester United into a situation of a lack of planning once again, even though there was um, discontent from the Glazers from September, um, Edward Woodward was hopeful he could get away with Solskjaer 
um, turning results around again, still selling the cultural reboot story, not having to change manager and hasn't until a late stage started to do serious work about a replacement and they don't really have a particularly coherent plan about how they replace it again, hoping if they can't get a, a, a figure they can sell to the supporters like Pochettino, that individuals who are already associated with the club who will buy into that cultural reboot message and, and have that continuity. And you've got a Manchester United, a former um, storied Manchester United player in charge will get by them the time so that they can solve the problem further on down the line. And how many times have we seen this with the organisation of Manchester United since Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill left the club? Just listening to you there, Duncan, talking about Eric Ten Hag and uh, his reasons for possibly not taking the Manchester United job reminded me uh, of a conversation I had with Goose Hiddink after his first interim spell in charge at Chelsea uh, after the sacking of Luis Felipe Scolari. And um, I asked him in the wake of the FA Cup final win, um, it's an open door. Are you going to take the job full time? And he said, you must be kidding me. My wife would kill me. We've just bought this lovely 19th century house and I'm outside of Amsterdam and I'm going antiquing this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm not taking the job. So there you go. Uh, that's maybe a story for another time in terms of the fullness of it. Duncan, my uh, sort of concern here and I think is most Manchester United fans concerned. Certainly the feedback we've had on our social media platforms uh, contains a lot of this, is why are the Glazer family allowing the same people to repeat the same mistakes again and again and again? Because clearly it's not worked. It's not working. Um, I spoke to someone this morning who's very close to the Manchester United dressing room, and I'm talking in the dressing room. And I was told by that person that um, the players, the current playing staff, are looking at McKenna and Carrick and saying to themselves, well, these guys did all the coaching in terms of sessions and tactics and team setup and game plan, etc. when Ollie was here. So why taking Solskjaer out of the equation makes them better at what they do, no one really knows. I, I think it shows you a lot of what Manchester United does as an executive, as a board, as a running of the club is, is based around image. Um, and we know how important image is to them. We know how important commercial factors are. We know how important social media is. We now know that they um, they they run assessments of of uh, positivity and negativity on each individual player's social media accounts um, to try and manage that. Um, I think we've talked about this on previous podcasts. One of the problems the Glazers have is they do not talk to people in football outside their employees. Um, they are inaccessible to the rest of the football industry and they have a, a huge amount of trust in the people who got them control of the club in that leverage buyout um, where they borrowed a lot of money against the value of the club and uh, and have made um, hundreds of millions of dollars subsequently with a, which a, with a much bigger payday to come down the line. So Ed Woodward, um, Richard Arnold 
are people who were not involved in football before they started working for the Glazers. They've been put into positions of being in ultimate executive control, albeit everything has of importance and, and some things of not great deal importance at all, like changing office furniture has to be signed off on by the Glazers. Um, and they've demonstrated that they're not, I don't know, put it nicely, they're not um, first in class relative to their, their peers again and again and again. And why should that be a surprise? Um, Richard Arnold is the de facto um, chief executive um, waiting to come in to replace Ed Woodward, although noises are now coming from Ed Woodward's camp that he will be retained uh, beyond... Good news! Good news for my United fans. Ed's going to stay on. <laughs> uh, possibly in a consultancy position, but yeah, I, you, your point is uh, is exactly right. Um, and you cannot trust these people to make a correct decision on the, the direction of the football club. What you can expect them to do is, is make decisions based on image, um, which is, I think, what we've, we've seen here. Um, add a couple of little details about what happened on Saturday. Um, one is that the, the communication to hold that emergency board meeting um, at 7 p.m. after the Watford game actually came through during the second half of the match. Um, at a point before it was absolutely clear that uh, that Manchester United would lose the game. Um, there's been some reports that the, the emergency board meeting took five hours before coming to a resolution on Solskjaer's sacking. I can tell you that is absolutely not the case. The board meeting essentially started with a decision that Solskjaer would be sacked and it was a discussion about implementing that, how to uh, pay him off. Um, my understanding, he was given a compensation deal of 9.4 million euros to leave, um, how to uh, involve a non-disclosure agreement in uh, that uh, uh, compensation package so Solskjaer would be kept on side, which I think probably wasn't something you would doubt anyway, given his affection for the club. And given that interview he gave um, quite unusually to, to club media, um, after um, he had been sacked, but it was basically the mechanics of getting Solskjaer out the door and starting the process of replacing him. And obviously that last attempt to use um, Manchester United's financial muscle to get Zidane in um, to solve the problem immediately, which failed, which left them in the position they're in now. It certainly is quite a mess that has been mostly of their own devising um, with regards to uh, the Solskjaer reign and um, one which they, we keep saying this, Duncan, they have to get it right next time, but they never do. And um, there's no sign really of positivity. The due process, which would allow Manchester United to um, decision makers to actually get their act together and make um, the right choice of the next head coach stroke manager um, who will get them out of this. Hence, I think the holding pattern um, idea of the interim interim, uh, which is bizarre in itself. Um, personally, it, it is, Ian, it is, Ian. If you think about it, if we take their stated position as being accurate and I've explained why it isn't actually their intention to do this, their stated position is 
Carrick in charge for the forthcoming games while the, the club looks to appoint an interim manager to the end of the season, then their stated position is to go through four separate managers in the space of eight months. Solskjaer, Carrick, an interim and a new full-time manager. <laughs> it is ludicrous that that is what they're selling to the supporters as the response to a problem which has obviously been coming, not just through this season. It's been obvious. It was obvious when they appointed Solskjaer, he was not the right man for the Manchester United job. They managed to get themselves into a position where they gave it to him on on the basis of expediency and euphoria over a, a very fortunate um, win in Paris. Um, and they've dug themselves deeper and deeper into the hole um, by not recognizing the basics of if you have someone in charge who's not doesn't have the qualities to manage a club like Manchester United ultimately you will not perform on the field in the way you're expected to and ultimately be it supporters who eventually ended up booing Solskjaer for the first time um, in number after the Watford game or be it players will say this isn't working it needs to change uh, and and you miss out on opportunities like hiring Antonio Conte um, and you get yourself in a situation where you're telling people, oh, we, we're going to go through four managers in eight months to to get ourselves back on track uh, for competing for the Premier League title in the Champions League. So our message to Manchester United fans and all of those who are just interested in what's going to happen next in the soap opera which has become Old Trafford is always, always keep an eye on the Transfer Window podcast with regards to getting your news first accurate and delivered before anyone else. One of our followers and one of our listeners uh, sent a tweet to me, Duncan I think uh, obviously with reference to the fantastic um, Talking Heads album uh, saying Stop making no sense, Ed. <laughs> Period. <laughs> so there we go. Um, speaking of which, Duncan, Antonio Conte, the man who they decided not to employ, the sergeant major of football, the man who takes no prisoners, uh, currently, obviously, back in the Premier League with Tottenham Hotspur. And... Um, I think we've seen this uh, movie before, making demands of his employers with regards to what he needs, stroke wants and requires uh, in the January window. Yeah, Antonio Conte, who the Manchester United rejected, who would definitely have been an upgrade on Solskjaer. But then every coach we mentioned in this long session discussing their options to replace Solskjaer would be an upgrade. That's the one uh, bright light for Manchester United. They, they basically can't get this wrong in terms of improving on Solskjaer. The difficult part is getting it to where they need to be. Conte, yes, making big demands. This isn't unexpected because to get him into the club, Fabio Paratici and therefore Daniel Levy, um, and you hope that Daniel Levy is aware of the promises that Fabio Paratici made to Conte, um, was that he would prov be provided with a squad that could compete um, would have a chance of getting into the Champions League through this season, which means significant spending in January, and then a big spend in the summer to give them uh, the opportunity to co properly compete for the Premier League title next season. So there is an understanding there that 
the large amount of money that Tottenham have stored away in the sense of they have a, a low wage to turnover ratio. They now have the stadium operating at close to um, their expected financial gain. They haven't uh, managed to to get the naming rights for naming rights lane yet, but um, that's in progress. Um, that the money will be channeled into the team. Uh, Conte, one of the things he's asking for in January is not one, but two starting centre-backs. Um, don't think this is a big surprise if you look at, one, um, what the two previous permanent managers in inverted commas thought of the centre-backs. Both um, Maurizio Pochettino and Jose Mourinho wanted uh, significant upgrades there. And of course, I, I've, I've forgotten the permanent manager. I've, I've, I've neglected to mention Nuno Espirito Santo, his, his reign being so short and, and already being out the door. Espirito Santo also wanted further upgrades at, at centre-back on top of what was very much a Paratici signing in, in Christian Romero. You can look at what Conte has been doing um, at the weekend. He started with uh, Jaffet Tanganga and Ben Davis in a back three, either side of Eric Dyer, ahead of Davinson Sanchez, who oh, it, it should really be a starting member given the, the massive investment that was placed in him. And Joe Rodon, who also by this stage, um, given there was a significant spend and an expectation that he would turn into a, uh, a top Premier League defender should be in the team. Both of them left on the bench. Um, Conte feels it's fundamental to improve at centre-back to get his um, five-at-the-back uh, system working properly. Options, one of the individuals they're in discussion about, although as I understand it, no offer has been made at this point, is a Manchester United player, Eric Bailly. Um, he's someone that Conte likes and was looking at as a possible recruit at Inter. Um, he is obviously one of the players who got the roughest handling from Uli Gunnar Solskjaer, um, extremely unhappy with the way he was treated by Solskjaer, felt that uh, it was ridiculous that Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof were continually selected ahead of him, almost regardless of what they did on the pitch, and actually expressed that um, following the Leicester City de defeat, um, talked uh, when when Solskjaer asked for a, an open meeting with his players, Bailly was one of the first to put his hand up and say, why was Harry Maguire, who's only had one training session after a significant injury, put straight back into the team uh, instead of me? Um, so it's not as straightforward now because Solskjaer's gone. Um, Bailly will is not pushing for a move away. He wants to prove himself at Manchester United. He looks at the players there and believes that he is better um, and than at least two of the regular starting centre backs. Um, and now we'll see if he can uh, if he gets the opportunity under a new coach. But uh, he's only played three times a season. He only has forty five minutes in the in the Premier League. Uh, if Tottenham were to decide he is the right individual to go after and uh, if he doesn't get himself into the team under the new management, then um, I think there's a very clear opportunity for them to uh, convince Bailly that he's better off moving to London than he is waiting as being a reserve in the, the Manchester United team. When I saw the uh, Tottenham team sheet, uh, Duncan, 
just made me think. This is classic Conte. It's not a team sheet, it's a protest song. <laughs> He's basically <laughs> saying, this is what I'm reduced to, playing Ben Davis and this in a back three, um, leaving Davinson Sanchez out. Eric Dyer, to be fair, who's played a lot at centre-back. Um, but yeah, it just looked to me like he was sending a message to uh, our friend Daniel Leverage with well, regards to the January window. I, I agree Romero injured, obviously, so that was part of it. But I think what you see with Tanganga and Davis is you have two individuals who will follow instruction. And Conte's coaching is... You know, it's centered around instructing the players on where they should be in the field and what options they should take to build attacks. Uh, so he likes players who follow instruction and, and um, obviously they are not going to be his preferred choices going on, but he'd rather have them in there than uh, Davinson Sanchez and, uh, and Joe Roden at present. I am sure, good people of the Transfer Window podcast community, that you will understand why we spent so much time on Manchester United today, but also, of course, bringing you news on Spurs as well. And we'll be back later this week with all the news before it becomes news. As usual, um, we will end the first pod of the week on our traditional hero and villain. I'm going to turn this over to Duncan to give us his hero and a very interesting technological stroke, tactical development, Duncan. Yes, um, this is something that's been flagged up to me um, from Greek football, actually. Um, it's the it's a, a development that the Olympiacos coach Pedro Martins has uh, has devised and, and a, a reuse of, of technology which uh, allows a tactical view of uh, of the game, generally used after matches to analyse what's happened. But Pedro has uh, gone to the providers and asked that they put uh, real-time aerial footage of the match available to him on a screen which he's installed in front of his uh, bench uh, in the uh, Olympiacos dugout and he can therefore have the pitch side view which is obviously a restricted view but simultaneously he can look and see what's happening from the aerial point of view so get a better idea of the tactical setup both of his team and the opponents see opportunities to take advantage of opponents or shut down things that they're doing against them use the footage at half time um, has it ready to use at half time if necessary to to show the players um, and uh, I, I'll put a, a little video up um, after this podcast so people can can see how it works. Very clever, um, innovative move from a coach who has done exceptionally well in Greek football. Um, he's won the title uh, two years running. They're unbeaten six points clear in the Greek Super League at, at present. So they're, they're headed for a third consecutive title. Um, he's won more European ties than any other Olympiacos coach ever. So it's not just in Greek football that he has been successful and, and is an individual who's been looked at by a number of Premier League clubs and, and basically the release clause in his Olympiacos contract has, has prevented him, uh, any of them biting on the opportunity to take Martins yet. But I think at the end of this coming season, um, when his contract expires, um, the possibility to take him without uh, compensation could be something that's attractive to a, to a Premier League club. 
by which time Manchester United will have probably gone through another three managers. So maybe Pedro will be in the frame there. Um, my villain of the week, uh, and by the way, I highly recommended the video uh, to you if you get the chance. You can find it on our social media platforms, of course, um, are Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand, two of a famous Manchester United back four, um, who this uh, last weekend uh, made statements regarding um, how they themselves conduct themselves, um, criticising their former club or not, criticising their former teammate, Solskjaer or not. Duncan, you have highlighted many times uh, Gary Neville's refusal to criticise Solskjaer's in-game uh, management, uh, other important decisions that he's made throughout. And Gary Neville gave a kind of fairly um, interesting and possibly too honest um, reply to a question in an interview he did with the Daily Mail last weekend with Ian Ladyman um, with regards to uh, why he never called for Solskjaer to be sacked. And meanwhile, Rio Ferdinand just embarrassed himself. Yeah, um, very interesting interview with with our uh, our friend and former colleague uh, Ian Ladyman, um, where Neville talked in quite a bit of detail about what he described as people saying has been the worst period of his his punditry career, defending his decision not to call for Solskjaer or any other manager to be sacked, which we've heard many times. Uh, his defence that it's basically inhumane um, to ask for a, a, a coach or, or say that a coach should uh, should lose his job when, of course, he uh, regularly says that uh, players aren't good enough for certain clubs. Apparently, there's a distinction there. But um, one bit which I thought was fascinating um, was his insistence that although he has numbers for many of the relevant figures at Manchester United in his phone, there are ex-teammates of his and the coaching staff um, and in the, the club hierarchy. According to him, he never contacts them. Um, he said, I texted Ollie that once because I thought it was getting that bad, but I don't have any football communication with them, even with my brother and Giggsy uh, when they were working at the club. A sporting director at another club asked to meet so he could give me some insight on his place. And I said, no, it would compromise me. I don't have a personal relationship with anybody in football, including at United. It means I can speak openly on TV about anything or anybody. Now, Neville obviously thinks this is an intelligent defense of the way he works. I find it astounding that someone who has access to individuals in the game doesn't use that access to talk to them find out what's going on behind the scenes um, and use that to educate his commentary and an analysis on what's happening at the clubs and what's happening on the field. He, he, he is arguing that he's better because he isn't speaking to people who are actually involved uh, about what's going on. I, I find it bizarre because my entire journalist career has been about establishing contacts with the people involved, listening to what they're saying about the game, because they're the experts, they're the people on the ground, and and using that, uh, conveying it sometimes directly, conveying some of it indirectly, but using it to educate everything I say about the, the game. And, you know, 
if you want to to see the effect that can have, and, and let's let's assume Neville was being honest about this, I I have my doubts that he doesn't uh, contact uh, people at clubs, uh, but let's take him at his word. He then went on to talk about Harry Maguire um, and insisted, um, despite how Harry Maguire has been playing in particular this season, but throughout his entire Manchester United career, he insisted Harry Maguire is the future of the club along with some others. So I have no doubts about him. He's just going through a two or three year mad period like I did. It emotionally drains you only three weeks off every summer. Um, I think he needs to talk to more people if he thinks that Harry Maguire is the future of Manchester United, having watched the, the way he's played. And I can present um, our listeners with numbers of people who are paid to make uh, important decisions on recruitment and an analysis and coaching teams who have exactly the same um, stance on Maguire. Rio Ferdinand, um, who belatedly uh, came out and said that he thought Solskjaer would be better off, recently gave an interview in which he, he was asked um, whether he'd be interested in becoming a technical director. And his response was, maybe one day if the right opportunity came, I think I'd be unbelievable at it. On Saturday, um, on BT Sport, he was he was asked about um, his decision to advocate that Solskjaer would be dismissed, explained that, and and then asked who he would replace Solskjaer with if he was in the position, position to do so. Uh, his response was, I don't know, have to wait and see. If I knew the answer to that and he would be successful, I should be in there doing the job. Um, I think his his description of his uh, his credentials as a technical director are uh, are are justified um, by that response. I think he would be unbelievable at it, but not in the right way. <laughs> Marvelous, real. Don't forget that drugs test. Um, <laughs> as long as uh, you're uh, on the uh, the surf of that wave uh, of someone who. Um, knows what they're doing, apparently. Uh, very good. So there are our hero and villains of the week on the Transfer Window podcast. We, of course, will be back later to update you on everything regarding Manchester United and the new manager, as well as, of course, other things that are going on. Um, and with the window building in January, uh, transfers and, of course, names of players who may well be coming or leaving your club. Uh, for the moment, please uh, contact us through our social media platforms. We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Duncan's on at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. You also find us on YouTube as well. Just search Transfer Window Podcast. Uh, stay well, be safe, and thanks for listening. Hey.